if you would like to borrow a Bible this morning, raise your hand, good and high, and the ushers will bring you a Bible to borrow. You can just follow along with us. This is what we do here. We just kind of go through the Bible. And if you didn't bring one, raise your hand. We'll give you one to borrow, and just stick it in the pew when you are done. This week I heard someone say that they went to go teach overseas. And while they were teaching overseas, the people who were listening to him teach were writing everything down he said. And he's like, why are you writing everything down I'm saying? And, he said, and they said, because we're going to take what you're saying and we're going to go teach it right away. And I do wonder if that would change your listening this morning if you actually knew or thought about when we're done, you actually got to teach it to someone else. How about we have that intent that you take something from today, I don't know what, something, and when you are done here, sometime this week, you're going to teach it to somebody else. It's called making disciples. Are you with me? All right, so let's listen a little intently today. Try to take something, I'm not sure what, be something for you to give to someone else during the week. I want to start by sharing a book with you. I don't even know if we have it on a computer or not. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. This is a book I'm reading this summer. And it's on marriage. It's good to read marriage books when you're married. It's called, What Did You Expect? It's a pretty good book. And it's not just a book on marriage. It's about a book on what it means to be human. And this author, Paul Tripp, he puts his finger on that point of our, I guess, our humanness, that sinful part of us, that tends to mess up marriages. And I would say that sinful part of us that can also mess up churches. And here's where he puts his finger right on the problem. He, he, he says that sin is essentially antisocial. Sin is essentially antisocial. All of us have this tendency to turn in on ourselves. And we want what we want. We want to make life all about us. We want to make these dreams, we want them to be about us. We want these plans in life to be focused on us. And we don't have time for, you know, loving others too much because we're, we're really busy loving ourselves. And we will enter relationships only with other people who like us as much as we like us. We're building our own kingdoms. And Tripp says what we're doing, we're focusing on this claustrophobic kingdom of one. Now, if you're married and you live like that, uh, how does marriage go when you or your spouse start living like that? It's not a big hit, right? There's issues. And the same goes with the church. When a church starts turning in on itself. Everyone wants to kind of believe what they want to believe, do what they want to believe, teach what they want to teach, and then turn it in on themselves. This antisocial tendency, the church can be a mess. For the past few weeks, we've been studying this book called First John, and there are some people that have invaded this church who are not only anti-social, where they've turned in on themselves and doing what they want to believe, but they are deceived about it, and they don't care. 
It's amazing what's happening in the church that, that, that John is addressing. These false teachers have, have entered this, this church, and you know what they're doing? They're crafting their own theology, and they're moving on from the true Jesus to a spiritual upgrade because they've been enlightened. And so they would look you in the face, and they would say, I don't care about the original gospel. I've got a better one. That's not all they're doing. They hate people within the church. They don't, they're not acting loving toward one another. And they would look you in the face and they would say, I, I don't care about people. I'm looking out for myself. And, and not only that, but they don't care about holiness. They're, 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 they're filled with worldliness. And so they would see and hear all the commandments of God. That we don't care about the commandments of God. We make our own rules. They're turning in on themselves. And so John writes the letter to the church to warn them of these heretics who are making the church all about themselves. And he's trying to warn them to walk in the light, not in the darkness. I want you to see it. I want you to see it. Let's turn to 1 John. 1 John, we're in chapter 2. If you haven't been with us, we're in chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read this to you. It's in the back of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Just read the text to you. 1 John 2, 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old one that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The thesis or main message of 1 John, which we will continue to return to again and again, is that God is light. We hear it over and over again. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He is holy and righteous in his character. And if his people are going to fall after him, they are going to walk in his character. And what we have seen so far, what it means to walk in the light as a church is that we want to be confessing our sins. When we walk in the light, it means that we want to obey God's commandments. And what it means to walk in the light is that we want to walk like Jesus did. That's what it means to walk in the light. 
And so John continues with this theme of walking in the light. And he says, hey church, if you're going to walk in the light, let me give you a few more things of what that's going to look like. It's going to mean first that you're going to love one another. If you claim to be a Christian, you'll love one another. And second, he's going to throw out some encouragement. And he's going to say the church is kind of like a, a family. And the third thing he's going to get at, he says, if you're walking in the light, you're not going to love the world. So that's where we're going today. God is light. If you walk in the light, you're going to love one another. You're going to live as a family, and you're going to not love the world. And this is so important. This is so crucial as we head to the fall. I keep talking about this every week because there's so many people in and out over the summer. Uh, But as we head toward the fall, we are starting our ethos communities. And I think as we start our ethos communities, it's essential to pay attention to what John says the church is all about, what the Word of God says that the church is all about. See, these ethos communities are going to be groups of 15 to 30 people that are going to meet in homes, condos, wherever, wherever we can fit 15 or 30 people, different groups. Uh, We're going to pray together, we're going to get in God's Word together, and we're going to live life on mission together. And as we've been going through the Word, John has been telling us some things about what it means to be in the church, to be in fellowship. We've seen so far that fellowship is not about socializing or like a, a social club. It's about being on God's mission. And John has also said that there are a lot of things we can say about fellowship, but the central component must be God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this week, once again, good to pay attention. Ethos communities are going to be about love, family, encouraging one another not to love the world. That's where John is going. That's where we want to go. Where is the heart of God for us as a community? Let's jump in and see. Let's jump in with love. Isn't it amazing? If you've gone to church your whole life, you've heard about love all the time. Well, let's see what real love is. Right here, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying I'm not giving you a new command? It's because the heretics within the church are claiming to have upgraded their spirituality. And we talked about that a few weeks back. You know, people like to upgrade their phones like their iPhones and thinking they're going to get something better, which as we've seen in the news, that's not necessarily the case now, is it? And so the upgrade here, they want to move on from the original Jesus. They don't necessarily believe that he came in the flesh. They don't believe that he's eternally existed. They've moved on to an upgrade. And John's like, I'm not giving you something new. I'm giving you something that you've had since the beginning. And that's the command to love. For example, in Leviticus, let me see if I can put this on the screen for you, Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, that, that's, that's an old command. That, that's an old command of love that is rooted in the very character of God. So when we talk about loving with another, it's not a new thing. It's been rooted in the character of God in the Old Testament. But then he says something very interesting in verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Huh, so it's new, but yet it's old. What's, what's he getting at here? How is it a new commandment to love one another? Well, I, I think what he's talking about, he's talking about the new commandment to love one another as exemplified 
in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say about love in, in John 13, 34? In John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment, a new one, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we've always had this command to love one another in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along and says, okay, here's a new one. And I want you to love the way I've loved. And you think, well, how does Jesus love? Well, Jesus loves sacrificially. Now that's a new aspect of the love command. Love one another as Jesus has loved you, which would be sacrificially. Someone has called this a cruciform type of love. Cruciform love. Cruci meaning cross, and, and form meaning in the shape of. So cruciform love. We want to move out toward one another in this cruciform love, loving one another sacrificially as Jesus has loved us. So it's pretty, pretty easy to understand so far. But look at verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Remember last week we, we talked about all these different type of postures or the way that false teachers can be posturing, making these claims of belief, claims of obedience, but their lives contradict that. So here the posture or the claim would be, I'm in the light and yet I hate my brother. And, and the Bible says, if you say you're in the light and yet you hate, you're still in the darkness. I mean, you can take it to the real extreme at 1994, Rwanda genocide. One million people pretty much killed each other. Most claimed to be a Christian. I mean, can, can we give someone assurance of salvation if they're killing someone else? A Christian killing Christian? I mean, come on. You say, no, that's ridiculous. There's no way they're Christians. And yet there are times in our culture where we just let people, like maybe in here, make the claim to be a Christian, and yet they hate other people. So no matter what your mouth says on your claim, if there is hatred in your heart towards someone else, the Word of God says you're still in the darkness. And what happens to those in the darkness? Well, look at verse 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So if you're walking in the light, you've got a smooth path straight. Walking in the darkness, you're like bumping into people, bumping into things because you are in the darkness. See, John is, is giving us something, this cruciform love that he wants to see within the church. And I, I want to say that one of the joys of being a Christian, if you're a legit Christian, for real following Jesus, I think one of the joys of being a Christian is demonstrating sacrificial love for others. It's not easy. It's work. Because most of us, if you admit it, we want life to be predictable and comfortable. Yeah? And, and if we need to love someone else, when you step into the world they're not necessarily predictable. And it can make us really kind of uncomfortable. But to exhibit cruciform love, sacrificial love, it's going to take getting kind of messy, kind of entering in the mess and, and jumping in and getting really uncomfortable and the schedules are going to get all messed up. And that's, that's biblical love. 
And I know sometimes you may get mad at me because I'm always, I'm always harping on you being in community, right? I'm kind of always like, come on, get in community, come on, get in community. And you may think that I'm doing that just so that you can feel loved in community. And that's part of it. I want you to feel loved by someone else. But did you ever think that one of the benefits of being in community is so that you can love other people? So when you pull out of community, we're, we're, we're lacking in your love. One of the ways that you grow is to know that God loves you unconditionally through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's how you grow. And you grow when you get in community when people love you. But you also grow when you love other people sacrificially. And if you're not in a community with other believers, then we do not have your love. And you're not growing. We need to jump in, live life together. It will be a mess. It will be uncomfortable. It will not be predictable. Believe me. But that's the kind of love that Jesus shows. And that's how we grow. So that's the idea of cruciform love. Now let's move on to the next part here. It's kind of fun what he's doing here. He's talking about the family. You see the, this, these, these, this family language here of talks about little children, fathers, young men. Then he says children, fathers, young men, verses 12 through 14. And um, you kind of wonder, what's he doing here? What are you doing here, John? And I think he's trying to encourage the church because he's bringing a pretty harsh word. He's, he's having people, he's warning the church about false teachers, and he doesn't want them to fall into the false doctrine, but he also wants to encourage them to think, hey, I think better things of you. And so he starts talking about children, fathers, and, and young men, and we kind of got to go, what exactly are you saying? Is he, is he addressing different age groups within the congregation? Like, I would look out and I would say, okay, children, I want all the children to listen to me. Okay, now I want all the young people to listen to me. Now I want all the old people to listen to me. <laughs> I mean, is he doing that? I think that what he may be doing, I could be wrong, but I think he's addressing different people on their journey following Jesus. You've got to admit, there are different people within this congregation who have been Christians for different amounts of time, and different people are on a different journey. The children in the faith or the young in the faith just came to the Lord. Those who are kind of in the thick of the battle could be the young men and the young women who have been Christians for a little bit. And those are the fathers, those who are older, whether in age or not, and maybe been a Christian for a longer amount of time. And I think he's addressing the family here on their different journeys in life, just like different people within a family would be on different stages in life, so there is in the church. But this is going to be really cool and encouraging, so try to pay attention here. Let's look at how he talks to the children first. Verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then you jump down into the end of 13. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, that, that's true for everybody. All Christians, that's true of them. But he's, he's, he's talking to these young believers in the faith, and there is this freshness about knowing that your sins are forgiven. Like when you first became a Christian, was it not awesome to know that your sins are forgiven? Was it not awesome to know that you were now adopted by your father? There was something fresh going on. And so he's encouraging the, the younger believers. But then he moves on to address the fathers. And he says in verse 13, I am writing to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. And once again in verse 14, I write to you fathers 
because you know him who is from the beginning. These fathers, these, those, it's, it's the people who've been a Christian a, a little bit longer, those are, are rooted deep in God. They know the one who is from the beginning. They know God who is the unchanging one. They know the gospel that does not change from the beginning. So you have the new believers have this freshness about them, but those who have been Christians for longer have more of this stable seasoning. And that's what we should see in every church. We have the freshness of new believers and the stable seasoning of those who have been Christians for longer. But look at the next group. The last group has to do with these, these, these young men. Look at verse 13. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. At the end of verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So it's not like um, the children, the new believers, don't have issues with the evil one, and it's not like the seasoned don't have issues with the evil one. But he's t- encouraging the young men who are in the thick of the battle. These are those who are, who are, who are I guess, skilled in what it means to defeat the devil through the word of God, through prayer. They're fighting temptations. They're, 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 they're getting in the face of the false teachers. They're fighting false doctrine. They're in the thick of the battle. And notice what their weapon is. Do you see it there? And the word of God abides in you. Psalm 119.9 some of you memorize this. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. In order to fight the spiritual battle, we need God's word in us. We, we get that through hearing preaching, through studying the word, through reading it. But one of the best ways that I've seen in order to fight spiritual battles is through scripture memory. And some of the guys in the church are doing something right now called a man up challenge, encouraging the men. Memorize the Word of God. There are several men in this church who are memorizing not just verses. They're doing that. Some are doing verses. Some are doing large chunks of Scripture. And some are memorizing entire books. And they're not doing this to get awards. They're doing this to fight. Be in the thick of the battle. That's the weapon. We need the Word of God in us. So here's the family picture. I love this passage because you have the freshness of the new believers. You have this, this zeal of the, the young men. These are people who have kind of in the thick of the spiritual battle, whether they're really old or young and age doesn't really matter. It's just their Christian journey. And then you have the seasoned, mature believers. Now, in a church, you need every single part. And so when you have the freshness of new believers around you and they say something just a little bit off doctrinally, don't pounce on them. And when you see new believers coming in and they're in Bible study, I was in Bible study with a new believer once and they're studying the Word of God and then I was in this Bible study and this new believer is like, just starts cussing because they're so amazed with what they found in the Word of God. They just have no other words to say about amazement. And, and it's, that's not the time to say, whoa, 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 pick some other words to use. I mean, we don't need to pounce on the freshness. We can talk to them later about things like that. But we want the freshness of, of the new believers within our congregation. But at the same time, we, we want the, the zeal of those who are just ready to go take the enemy 
lay down their lives for Jesus. It's just so awesome to see those, those um, in the thick of the battle. Whether they're old, whether they're young, they're just doing it, just going crazy for the Lord, traveling around the world, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel here, laying their lives down. And, and, and it's that out-of-the-box, zealous thinking for Jesus that's really, really excited. And, and you have to commend the, the, the people in this church because this past year, we pulled back and did something called an ethos project where we said, what does the Word of God say the church should be about? What should we be about? Now, if you've ever done that in the church, and when we tell other people what our church did, they seem shocked because that would never fly in their church. You know why? Because those who are seasoned in the faith would crush it. Those who have been Christians for a long time would crush it, but not the season in the faith in this church. Those who are older in the church here in the faith that have been around the church for around 20 did not crush it. They joined with it. They encouraged the out-of-the-box thinking. They encouraged those to hone their zealousness, to think about these things. And that's a church that flourishes. And that's why we also need those who are older, more mature in the faith, who have been around much longer. We need them. We need to seek them out. We don't need to see those who've been Christians for a long time and say, well, they don't understand. They're just dinosaurs. Don't say that. Do you understand that they've been in the thick of the battle? They've seen God come through time and time again. They've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. And we can go to those who are older in the faith and we can get wisdom. We can have our zeal honed and we can get this freshness. This is the family of God. That's how we grow. So we don't want to despise the young in the faith. We don't want to crush the zealous. And we don't want to say, oh, they're just too old. What are you doing? It's the family of God. That's how church moves out on mission. That's exciting stuff here. Exciting stuff. Well, now the last part. This last part about not loving the world. Let's look at this last portion. Our attitude toward the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world? And here it says, don't love the world? I don't think it's talking about necessarily the, the people, right? I think it's talking about the system under the control of the evil one, the domain under the control of the evil one. And here it's being propagated by the, the false prophets. So we're to love people, but not love the the worldly viewpoint, concept, evil system working behind these ideas flourishing and our culture that are intent on bringing down the gospel. No, no, don't love that. You cannot love the world and God at the same time. Straight up just can't do it. The book of James says something in uh, James chapter 4, verse 4. James doesn't beat around the bush. You adulterous people, how about that? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Some of you Christians are wondering if you can love the world and God at the same time, and some of you are trying, and it's a disaster, right? Take the issue of money. Can you love money and God at the same time? No. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, 
No one can serve two masters, for, he, for, he, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There is a sharp distinction. You cannot love God and the world at the same time. Sharp distinction. You cannot do it. It's incompatible. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, John continues with the marks of the world. Look at verse 16. Here's some of the marks of the world. For all that is in the world, and the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So you have this craving after the forbidden. John calls it here the desires of the flesh. You, you, you kind of wonder, where does all the wickedness in the world come from? Well, it comes from the, the wicked heart that springs up to indulge in all the bodily appetites. Basically, this is saying we do what we want to do because our heart is bent on destruction. Whenever you watch a movie that says, follow your heart, you should scream, throw up, or do something. I just hate that line. I could be watching some Disney movie with my kids, and it says, follow your heart. And I just ruined the movie because I just can't stand that talk. Don't follow your heart. No, it's where it springs these desires that need to be in check. And that's a, John's very clear here. The desires of the flesh. And then he also says, the desires of the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. You can think of Eve lusting after the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, she sees the forbidden and she's lusting after it and she wants it. And then you can think about David's eyes lusting after Bathsheba in 2 Samuel eleven two. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So the lust of the eyes, wanting something that you should not have, that is forbidden, and you desire it. And the last thing he mentions here in the mark, he says, pride in possessions. This is boasting in what you have, boasting in what you can do. Hey, world, look at me. Watch me climb the ladder. Look at all the money I'm getting. Look at all the recognition I get. Check me out. Aren't I awesome? And so you're just check. You're just trying to get the attention of the world so that you can boast in your, in your possessions. And I want to tell you, my brothers and sisters, these marks of worldliness are trying to be sold to you every single day. The world is not neutral it is out to drag you down, no joke, no joke. We'll see later in First John that the world is under the control of the evil one. The evil one is set on distracting you big time. This past week, I was watching or going to watch this, this new TV show. It was like a pilot of this new show. And the show is called Covert Affairs. Covert Affairs. And the reason why I was going to watch it is because it shows about the CIA. And just kind of let you know something about, about me, that, that if I wasn't a pastor, I would probably be in the FBI or the CIA. I know. I know. I know. It's hard to believe. And so every time I uh, like to watch stuff about the CIA, if, and you never know. I may just be in it, <laughs> posturing as a pastor. And so I have these these interests in these shows and so I had it on TiVo. I don't know. TiVo's old school, I know. But I have TiVo and so I'm watching it and and in the first two minutes, 
there's like, I mean, a very inappropriate scene. You know the writers and the directors are trying to lure you in through the lust of the eyes. I mean, right off the bat. And I'm like, delete! No! I'm not going to watch delete! And I, I wish I could say that I'm, I'm, I'm really quick to delete all the messages the world is, is sending in at me every single day. There's so much coming at us. And, and we need to be quick to filter it through the word and delete it. Whatever it is. I was, I was reading an article uh, um, in the paper. And it was talking about how to, to make things better when you live together before you get married. Percentage-wise, that's what most people do. And, and I know when some singles and couples come to our church, that's what they plan to do. Let's live together before we get married. You've got to be like, delete! Just get rid of that thinking! You've got to understand that the world is not neutral. It really is going after you. And the messages are coming all around, and your heart's like, maybe that sounds like a good idea. And you've got to be quick to delete, quick to delete, quick to delete. Because those pleasures are fleeting and they will not last but what will last look at the last verse verse 17 and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever Hmm. so the one who obeys God does the will of God will have eternal life through Jesus by his grace through faith and will abide forever. And the world desires passing off the scene. Once again, there is either a love for the world or a love for God. And those who have been saved by grace through faith want to follow and live for God's will, which will last forever as the world passes off the scene. And you need to know that this happens in small little choices that you make every single day where the world will be offered to you and you have to decide, will I indulge or will I refrain? It's going to come in all these little small choices throughout the day. Will I indulge or will I refrain? Will I delete? Will I give in? When I was a new believer in college, I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. And so I had that freshness. Wow, my sins are forgiven. Wow, I've been adopted by a father. Wow, this is so great. But you ever had that time in your life when you're a new believer and you're walking with Jesus, you're so excited, but then you also realize that you have issues. Yeah? You're like, wow, I still struggle with sin. Yeah? You know when that hits you? Don't you hate that? It's like, why am I still struggling with this? I'm now I'm still a Christian. Why? What? Anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. What, when I was, in, when I was in, in, in college, you know, I have all my crazy past and still struggling with stuff. And like, God help me. What, how am I supposed to even think about this stuff? And what really helped me was to boil it down to this with regard to my sin issues. Do I love God or do I love me? And if you boil every sin down to that, am I going to love God or am I going to love me? And that really helped me to battle against certain sins, even today, because I'm still struggling and battling. But it helps me. In this situation, am I going to love God or me? My fleshly desires, worldliness, that's passing off the scene. Those who obey the will of God and do it last forever. So just kind of boil it down. Don't make it so complicated. Boil it down. Am I going to love God 
Am I going to love me? I, I love John. He, I think he, he's helping us to learn what it means to live as a church. It's like, here, I want you to love one another sacrificially, cruciform love. Live as a family, all of you, different journeys, encourage one another, but don't love the world. I mean, it's just, just, that, that's awesome. And this, it's very helpful for us. And I know some of you are new to our church, and for those of you who are here today, it's, it's a miracle you're here because, you know, through the summer you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're going around traveling. I totally understand that the summers are like that, and you know in the fall we're going to start these ethos communities. But I, I just want to say, We've got to kind of hang with one another now, too. If you're new to the church, it's a good time to meet people. And it's, if you've been a part of a long time, it's, it's still a good time to connect with others and be involved in their lives. And, and, and there are ways to do that. The, the women of this church have a variety of things going on, from just a little, a little coffee to time in the park, just some time to hang out. And, and the men are doing some stuff. You know, some guys just went on a bike ride yesterday, just kind of get to connect with one another. Some, and there's some Bible studies going on over the summer, and the, the youth are still getting together, and the kids got some VBS. There's just a lot of different things going on. Like, like Friday night, we can hang out for six hours together. Come on now, six hours. Studying the Word of God and praying, doing the secret church. Uh, next month, we're going to play some soccer with our Congolese brothers and sisters who are going to kill us in soccer. This is going to be fun just getting together with them. There's just a lot of stuff that, that is going on. And, and I want us to say, hey, look, we need to be intentional, especially right now. Especially right now, because you know when you're on vacation how vulnerable you are. You get out of your routines. You're not getting up as much, getting in the Word. You're skipping out on church. You're not staying in your same spot. You're traveling around. The enemy can jump in, bring some strife, bring some problems, distract you. You've got to be careful over the summer. Be intentional to stay in each other's lives to encourage one another, call one another, email one another, spend time together, and just be together as the family of God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. It's so clear that through Jesus, we have a relationship with you. You were light, and you've brought us together and we want to walk in the light. And we really want to love one another, even though it's hard at times. We want to encourage each other in the family. And we want, to, we want to say no to the world by your grace, by your power. And Lord, for those who are struggling right now, because I know, I know there's some people in here that are extremely lonely, not feeling a part of anything, not feeling a part of this family love. I just ask, Lord, that they would make some movement this morning to attempt to connect with others. And I know there's some, some guys and girls in here who are caught up in the world. The worldliness is infiltrating their thinking. I just ask that they would connect with some brothers and sisters who just can speak some truth to them. And Lord, may we just take some time just to be with each other, to build one another up in love and good deeds, and walk in the light as you are in the light for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.